0: Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and chair of the Family Law Group at Mills and Mills LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the topic of divorce healing and narcissistic abuse, and I'm really excited to have on the podcast Bonnie Duarte who has, she was just telling me before we started recording how her practice has really grown into working with a lot of clients who um, are in relationships where there has been narcissistic abuse. So I'm excited to have her here today. And this topic is always such a popular one because it's so prevalent and so difficult if you're in that situation. So uh, thank you for joining me today and welcome to the podcast, Bonnie.
1: Hey Leanne, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So
0: why don't we start, if you could tell listeners a little bit about yourself and the practice you know, that you have and the focus and types of things you do.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I am a, a divorce healing specialist, which means that I focus entirely on people healing through divorce. I, I'm not the expert when it comes to the process of divorce, but I am that person that'll teach you how to heal. And I think that's really a a huge distinction. How do we heal? Because we hear these things all the time, like "let go," "forgive," "you got to move on," um, "stop judging," da 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 da. And we say all of these things, but we never, or so few of us know. Yeah, but how? I would love to do that. And (laughs) so, so I think it's really cool to um, to be that source or that resource that not only teaches more from that educational. Point, but also from that coaching perspective. So although I there's an incredibly strong therapeutic element to what I do, I'm definitely not a, 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 a psychotherapist or a, a, ther- a, a cognitive behavioral therapist, anything of that sort. I really do use more of a coaching teaching model, which I think is really powerful when it comes to learning the new skills that are required inside of a, uh, Of healing. Uh, I, oddly enough, have never been through a divorce then. And so how did I end up here? Good question. How did you end up here? Yeah. So it's, although I've never been divorced, I've been in the face of divorce my entire life. So my parents were married and divorced four times to other people, to different people. My husband's divorced and I have two stepdaughters. And so divorce has just been the backdrop of my life. And I was really (laughs) so lucky that I came across a fellow coach at one point that said, because I was contemplating, can I do divorce coaching? I'm not, I've never been divorced. What right do I have to step into this arena? And she said to me, Bonnie, you don't have to have had brain surgery to be a brain surgeon. And it was just that, enough of that that made, made me say, of course, of course. And uh, it was just, this is where I'm meant to be.
0: And it's interesting because, you know, when we were chatting, you were saying when we met a number of years ago, I wasn't doing, as, you know, as nearly the length, I was trying to get away a little bit from litigating and, and now I do so much of it. And your practice at that time, as I recall, was, you know, more, it was focused on divorce recovery, which I guess is still healing. You know, we were chatting about the, the narcissistic abuse element of it. And you're you were saying you're finding you have a lot more clients who are in that space now.
1: Yeah. Several years ago, narcissism honestly was something so rarely brought up in my practice. We just didn't, didn't talk about it. And for like, truthfully, I wasn't as well-versed seven years ago, or when we met, I think I like probably about six years ago in, in, narcissism. And it wasn't until, oh, I'm going to say about three years now. Uh, and now, even in the last year, it's kind of like exploded where the majority of my clients are leaving either a narcissistic relationship, or for sure an abusive relationship. And there there is a really interesting separation between the two. So just because your ex is a, a, a horrible spouse, and they've treated you terribly, doesn't actually make them narcissistic. And Lynn, you will know, Better than me, it's really why the word narcissism gets such a bad rap, is because we use it across the board for everything. If somebody's selfish or self absorbed or um, they're just really unkind people, we want to throw the label narcissism. And then because we do that, it gets so watered down and then discounted.
0: No, exactly. I mean, I would say that probably, you know, 90% of the clients who come through my door will say that their ex is a narcissist. And whether that's accurate or not, I don't know, I'm not in a position to diagnose them. You know, I can certainly as I go through, you know, the, the divorce process with them, I, you know, I can see signs of whether they are or they aren't, but um, it is, yeah, unfortunately, a very misused word at times. And I think as one of the things I think as lawyers that we do have to be more, I think, empathetic, maybe to somebody who's saying rather, you know, I think because it is so widely used, you know, I, I know some of my colleagues that when someone says that it can evoke an eye roll, it's kind of like, oh, here's mm-hmm. another one. And and we need to be empathetic to the fact that there, it actually could be the case. And what I often say to people, and I don't know, it, it, you know, if you would agree with this or not, but to me, it doesn't matter, like, whether they're a narcissist, or they're not, or there's something else, like, I, I am, I'm interested in the behavior. And if they're, they're engaging in behavior, that's harmful to my client, or, you know, it to the children, and it's, you know, a, emotionally abusive, or psychologically abusive, you know, let alone physically abusive, or whatever. I, I don't care what a di- what a, you know, a psychologist might diagnose them with, it's just more what is their behavior? And, and is this something that is relevant to what we're doing in the family law proceedings.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think because it's down um, to be a uh, diagnosed as a as narcissistic personality disorder and that shows up in the DSM, we've really put it over there while we can't, um, in the legal system and the courts and, and as lawyers, we, we don't feel qualified to go there. And as much as I really do respect that, because obviously, That's why there are psychiatrists and psychologists to do such, to do such things. Uh, It's really important to know, though, that narcissism is, as much as we can say, yes, it is, let's look at the behaviors, which is essential for us to do, to look at those behaviors. And I know that's what's required when we're going to to court. Uh, But I really see narcissism as like death by a thousand cuts. So it's these insidious, tiny little things that just happen over and over again, at such a low grade, that if we look at it bit by bit or action by action, we're like, seriously, like, it's not a big deal. But it's more the effect it has on the person um, being being abused. I'm actually just in the middle of writing an an article right now, because I really believe narcissism gets, it just gets missed. And there's some ways as divorce professionals, that we can begin identifying it in a, in a really simple way, just by looking at behavior. And let's just say this way, you're right, because we can't diagnose it. But we can say, hmm, it really does look like there's some narcissistic behavior here. So, given that, and yeah, the words you used before was awesome, like let's have some more empathy, maybe understand where that person's coming from. And when we're looking at somebody who's been at the effect of narcissism, they're quite frankly really challenging to work with because they are, uh, they're, they're, there's almost like a paranoia there, there's an extreme anxiousness their feel their emotions are so perhaps even erratic like the extremes of their emotions they seem more nervous no, more agi- agitated they're more reactive they're they're more shifty like you don't even know if you, maybe it, it, it's, I, can i trust you like you're the one that seems more off and then in comparison to that their narcissistic partner is cool calm they're like so charming you actually can- have to force yourself not to like that person because they will actually compliment you and make you feel good in in your presence. And it's that that dichotomy that is the aha moment. It's like, oh, interesting. We've got one person that's so put together, that's so charming and, and likable and really knows how to connect with me. And this other person that seems so disconnected and so, so unbalanced that it's, it's that extreme difference that should have us say, Hmm, let me look at this differently.
0: For sure. And, um, you know, and it's interesting because I find as a, I, I say, as, this is like, I'm, there's women out there who are narcissists uh, obviously as well, 100%. but you know. Yeah. I find, um, you know, I get clients who, who are female and who have ex-husbands who, you know, I, again, without diagnosing them, seem to have narcissistic tendencies and have, you know, engage in narcissistic abuse. And I find as the female lawyer, often, um, you know, especially if they're self-representing, they'll turn it on to me. And I find I end up getting that type of abuse directed at me. And it's interesting, because it can actually be, I have to be mindful, because it can be, I have been in the past in uh, a relationship myself, where, you know, there was that type of abuse going on. And so it can be triggering, uh, and trigger up some of those feelings that I had, you know, when I was in the relationship. And so, I, you know, I've done a lot of work in healing since then and all of that and enough to be mindful of, you know, when I see it and, and the feelings that it evokes, but I do find it, it is just interesting because it is one area where I find the self-represented narcissist will start directing that, um, because they can't deal directly necessarily with their ex anymore. So they'll hurl it on to me because I'm the one who's helping them lose control over, you know, their, their acts who they, you know, did have control over. And just going back to what you were saying a few minutes ago as well is like one of the things I think that's really important for victims of any type of abuse, but probably particularly narcissism is I think that validation because they've been, you know, gaslighting is such a, a like big part of narcissistic abuse. And so, you know, they've often felt like they're questioning themselves. Am I going crazy? Am I imagining this? Am I looking for something that's not there? So if you you know go to a lawyer or you go to a coach or you go to a therapist and they're not really validating that for you, I think that's hard. I I think that they need to have that validation. It's just an important part of, I don't know, maybe the healing process. You know that part better than not.
1: The clients that show up with me or show up to me, I know that there's been a narcissistic type relationship there, or I'm going to suspect, I say, no, I I feel more confident that there was when they show up in such a confused state. They don't know if they're up, they're down in or out. Like it's everything. They question everything and they cannot make some of the most, the simplest decisions on their own. There's such a lack of self-trust. So that's absolutely one of the things I start doing right away is letting them know, know what you're going through is normal. How you feel right now is normal. I don't make it, how do I explain this? I don't speak about it in a way that it's like, it's okay. Yeah, we're, it's, everybody's this way. That's just the way it is. Creating some normality to it so they don't feel so crazy. And then I use the word crazy very purposefully because that's the feeling that is so prevailing is, am I, am I crazy? And so reassuring somebody that, no, you're, you're not, what's yeah. happening isn't right. And even as a lawyer, if we can recognize, you know what, from what you're saying, I would agree there. I'm definitely seeing narcissistic tendencies here. We don't have to say narcissistic personality disorder or clients don't care that we're that they've got the DSM diagnosis. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But recognizing that there's narcissistic traits, and that these are abuse traits, and these aren't right. um, will put somebody at ease that they're for the first time, perhaps the first time being heard, and, um, and being supported. It's really important.
0: For sure. So now how, um, you know, it's like such a Big question, like, how does someone go about healing from narcissistic abuse? Because, you know, a lot of damage is done when you've been in that type of relationship.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big journey of finding yourself again. You know, people will say things, feeling anxious, overwhelmed, a sense of really being lost, not knowing yourself, feeling like you're a shell of who you once were. I use, I'll share this little uh, scenario or story I, I, I tell my clients. I say, you know, at the beginning of the relationship, you had this beautiful gift, a box, gorgeous wrap, like the most beautiful wrapping paper, stunning bowl. And inside this box was all of you, your value, your confidence. And then what we did, we came into this relationship and uh, we did what we were, thought we were supposed to do. You give yourself to the relationship. So you hand the stunning box over to your now beloved who's supposed to cherish you and love you to te- death do us part. And you say, here's me. And I t- this is like the silent contract we make. We don't actually verbal- actually say this. Here's me. I trust that I'm going to give you all the important aspects of me, all my value. And I trust that you are going to give it back to me when, what, every time I need it or want it. And at the beginning, it can work out quite nicely. You get that, you're getting that, those affirmations, and uh, you're getting the praise and the acknowledgments, And then they start to become less frequent. But that's okay, you've got this figured out, you know what to do, you just work harder. So you do more things hoping that they're going to recognize it. And then say to you, oh, wow, like, Give you all the, the praise that you're looking for, or the acknowledgement and love that you're looking for. And then it starts to happen less and less and less often. And now, no matter how hard you work, you're just not getting that love, that praise, that acknowledgement, the value that y- you're craving. And then yeah. before you know it, you're not getting any of it. And so, what I invite clients to do is see how we handed all of our value over there. And it's time to say, it's like a little knock, knock, knock. It's Like I made a huge mistake. I didn't realize that that was never mine to give away. It was never mine to give to you. So it's like this, you know, you're not literally going to be going out to your ex and asking for this box (laughs) back, right? But we're going to say, okay, I want my box back. Now we're going to take it back and it's going to be a hot mess. It's going to be tattered and broken and you open up inside and it's dust and it's, you know, everything's just, and nothing's been taken care of. And so now our job is to kind of go here and slowly start cleaning it off, repairing our self-esteem, our starting to figure out what does it look like to love ourselves? How can I, and just be in that space of how can I begin healing now? You won't, it's not going to, be like, it's, it's a broken box. There's a whole bunch of broken pieces. It's going to take time to mend that now. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying time heals. It's going to take very deliberate actions, but very, and very purposeful to how do I get my box back to where I want it again. And then start finding and connecting with people that align with you. Whether it be uh, people in the community, people at work, a therapist, um, a coach like myself, um, lawyers that you feel have got your back. You want a team of people that are going to be uh, team you, right? Your, your ex is no longer team, team Sarah or, or, you know, team Lisa. They're not, they're not your team anymore. So it's re- realizing they're not part of my team because they, they actually didn't take care of this box very well. And now I'm going to find people to, to support me and knowing it's my job to take care of this box.
0: No, that makes, that makes so much sense. You mentioned, you said, because, you know, there's that saying, time heals all wounds. Is it like, if you, if you do the work, can you completely heal from having been in this type of relationship?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of people think healing as going back to where you once were. You'll never go back to what you were. Thank goodness. We don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) We can heal so that we're no longer triggered or in the reaction of, or that our life isn't um, of less fulfillment or joy. I often do this little comparison with my clients, which is when they come to me, I say, how happy were you in the marriage? Because coming from a narcissistic relationship, often people will come to me saying, he was perfect. He was amazing. I love him so much. If it was the the female to the male, you know, uh, most of my clients are female, just weird. It's been like this more through COVID than ever. It used to be a much different um, divide, but right now it it is more that way. You know, it's like, how can I make him love me and appreciate me and recognize me? And there was such a, this um, addiction, right? Such a deep, deep, I need this person to acknowledge me. And so when I say, well, how were you, how happy were you in the marriage? They're like, I was, I was quite happy. Like in a scale of zero to 10, maybe like a seven, you know, I was okay. And then he just picked up and left and he's with somebody else or, or he doesn't love me anymore. If it's that there's all different scenarios, but let's call it that scenario. Then after we work together, we'll go back to that question. And I'll say, how happy were you in the marriage? I go, oh my goodness. Bonnie, I I thought I was like a seven, but I was like a two. I wasn't happy and I didn't recognize I wasn't happy. So now in doing the work right now, I can say I feel like a seven. So is the healing possible? Yeah. Does that mean that you will never feel sad again? Hell no. Of course, you're going to have emotions that pop up. But I like to say this, that... The I don't know if I I feel like I, I want to write on a on a on a whiteboard or something right now. <laughs> but you know, we go as we go through a uh, life. You think of like a heart monitor, like it's on the ups and downs and the normals and the ups and downs. We those times that it's tough. We think that's wrong or bad. We shouldn't feel sad. We shouldn't feel hurt. We should just be on this steady incline of getting better all the time. And how as lovely as that is. It's just not reality. We are going to have hard times and beautiful times and normal times and hard times. And the the trick though, into knowing if you're actually healing is when it hits me hard, how long do I stay down there? Or do I come back up again quite quick, quite quickly when, when my clients first show up on my doorstep, they're in the gutters of it, right? You're down low. And you're down low for weeks, months. Sometimes it's been years, typically months. And so then the measurement becomes, how often do I feel down there and how long do I stay? Right. And the more we can come back up again and bounce back. That's, that's the goal. That's, that's actually transformation. Mm-hmm. Because to think you, we wouldn't go and drop is unrealistic. We're all human.
0: For sure. Now, are certain types of personalities drawn more to narcissistic personalities Mm -hmm. and vice versa? Are narcissistic personalities drawn, you know, I I often hear narcissists, empaths, kind of that they're drawn to each other. But um, what's your experience with that?
1: Yeah, 100%. If you are an empath, you are somebody that Cares about other people's feelings first and foremost. You you're you feel it's your job to make people happy around you. You're just super generous and giving, like over the top. You are a narcissist dream, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. The antidote to a narcissist, um, to nurse, getting get drawn into a narcissistic relationship, is being confident, knowing what your boundaries are, saying what you want. Uh, knowing where to knowing your value and not allowing anybody to to take you beneath that now don't get me wrong a lot of people that enter into a narcissistic relationship we start off as that way we thought we were really confident and knew ourselves and but then you know we we have these ideas about relationships that we think well you need to compromise and it's a you know a lot of give and take and you can't have it always your way and and so. Sometimes we get caught up in giving, giving away ourselves, like compromising to the point that we've compromised our self-esteem, our values, our worth, and to start recognizing that, that's, that's a bit gray, right? When, when did I do that? When I did, so that's the inquiry to be in. Did I just compromise my own values? Did I compromise what was important to me? Did I put myself beneath the needs of him or her? you know i always say that a narcissist h- would hate me <laughs> they don't <laughs> not even be my friend because i just i'm too opinionated i'm too strong headed i'm too however i am i they would just be like if i sh- if i showed up as like a client's friend say right and they and they had a dinner party with me i wouldn't be invited back <laughs> the narcissist would say oh she's really annoying no oh, she's so She's so full of herself. Oh, I can't believe you have a friend like that. So they'll, they'll cut down people that don't need, don't feed them. Right. Don't give the the narcissistic supply. They'll cut down people that stand up to them or question them. They don't want anybody questioning anything they do.
0: Now, if someone has children with a narcissist, you know, they're going through their, their healing journey. They're trying to, to heal and recover but they have to deal with this person on a semi-regular basis because, you know, they have maybe young children even. So, you know, there has to be some interaction. How do they deal, how can they co-parent effectively without again, losing them, their, themselves or, you know, inhibiting their healing process?
1: Yeah. That is, that's the most, that's the trickiest part in all this, right? If we're just in a relationship, but we're not sharing a child, it's so easy just to come. Well, so I say so easy. It's not easy, but it's much easier to disengage and to separate. But now when we have to continue that some sort of parenting relationship with this person, I think first and foremost, do not get caught up into the lingo of thinking you can co-parent. You can you can only parallel parent with somebody that's a narcissist. And I know that uh, our the legal system and everybody's about no, we must co-parent, and Maybe on paper, we'll say we're going to co-parent, but you can't co-parent with somebody who's not co-parenting back. <laughs> it's impossible. you can't co-parent one-sided. It doesn't, co-parenting is two. We both come together. And, you know, let me, I, I want to say this part about, or a couple parts, actually, a couple aspects to this. One is you need to do your work so that you are your best self. So that you are not triggered and that the effect of your ex. So that you, when you are with your child, you are the most grounded you can be. You I you're not being gaslit. So gaslighting, we we use this the deciding factors of our this is a is this a narcissistic relationship when you've been gaslit, meaning you're constantly, whatever your reality is, whatever you believe to be true, the narcissist is telling you, nope, that's not true. That didn't happen. And so you're constantly questioning, did I say that? Did I not say this? Is this right? Did they say this? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. So you're in this state of confusion. Uh, Maybe what I'm saying or thinking or doing isn't right. Maybe I am. And we use that word, the crazy one. You know, we use that word earlier on, maybe it's me. But versus when you start to do that, that own discovery and that healing, now you no longer can be gaslit. You cannot be gaslit if you are not gaslightable. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So if you, I, I would way rather (laughs) as like, you know, any of my clients. To make a decision, to believe something is the way it is, and to stand their ground and be wrong, than to turn to somebody else not knowing who they are, what they want, what they should do. Take the advice of somebody else because you feel so lost. And their advice is actually good advice and was the right thing, and ended up turning out well. I would rather you make the mistake going on your own intuition and what you know to be true then trusting somebody else because the most essential thing is to be able to start getting that trust back and knowing if I made a mistake, I made the mistake and now I get to learn from that and I get to learn more about myself. So we, it's really getting out there and trying things. And there's a whole healing. I, I take people through a whole, a whole healing method. There's a whole process to how we heal and how we can start connecting with our body again and uh, checking into our intuition and knowing uh, what's right for me. What are the the choices I'm gonna make that are aligned with my values, my my own personal standards, the person I wanna show up in the world as. And when we're making decisions from there, you can't go wrong because you're doing your very, very best.
0: Oh, that's very true.
1: Right? And anytime we've messed that up, anytime we've messed that up, if we backtrack, we'll recognize that moment that we didn't trust ourselves. We actually got that red flag or that 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 indicator that this isn't the right thing, but we said, oh no, 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 don't worry about it. It's fine. That I'm, I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm being too sensitive. And those are the things we heard over and over again in our our narcissistic relationship. You're too sensitive. You're overreacting. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And we play those in our own heads as truth. And none of that is true. What's true is connect with your heart, connect with your intuition, start saying what is right for me and be willing to make a mistake because here's the thing you're going to make a mistake either way, you're going to make a mistake if you trust somebody else and don't trust yourself, a mistake will be made. And you will make a mistake if you trust yourself. But the practice of trying to start to trust yourself is is the gold in this. And that's the spot. That's the place where we often need that extra support, that 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 therapeutic element of where where's my sounding board? Where can I land when things don't go well? And and you know, and and get lifted up from there. So parenting with children, you've got to do the self work. You've got to, this is healing, you've been abused. No, none of us are born knowing how to do this. And most of the people and and I I don't say this lightly, most of the people that we reach out to, that we reach out to for uh, advice, that we kind of, think are our support systems, most of them, meaning they mean so well, but they're giving us bad advice. They're saying all the very things that will actually keep you stuck and suffering way longer than you need to. Uh, Leanna, you just said the word uh, or the, the phrase or learned t- time heals, right? And we know time doesn't heal. Yeah, and we say it all the time. And even Oh my gosh, like I literally have books written on how time doesn't heal, right? My, my eight <laughs> divorcements. And sometimes it slips out of my mouth. I'm like, where did that come from? Like,
0: that's a, of course it doesn't. Yeah.
1: But everything we do does take time. And things like stay strong or do the just all the advice we give, most of it is really bad advice for healing because we're not taught how to heal. So you want to find somebody that you can learn how to heal with. And then as for our children, often there's so much shame is just everywhere in the area of, um, of narcissism and somebody who's being abused. We're just, they're just so full of shame, but we have so much shame for what we've put our children through and the shame of leaving the relationship or being left or being in the relationship and knowing that we put our child through that narcissistic abusive relationship. And that shame is overshadowed so much. But if we can kind of take a step back and, and see that, you know, this is, um, I think a very, I've never heard anybody say this before. So I, I don't, I'm sure others are saying that. I just haven't heard it, but consider that you're giving your child some incredible life skills. You're Ex, their parent is not going to be the first or last narcissist they ever meet in their lifetime. Yeah. So when we can now start teaching our child what the behavior, yeah, you were talking about behavior before, right? Instead of the label of narcissism, we can start showing what behavior isn't, doesn't align, right? Oh, that I'm being lack of empathy, uh, you know, hurtful, just. People just want to win at any cost, like these types of behaviors. We can start identif- gaslighting, right? Notice when somebody's doing that. So now we're just more aware. And in any other kind of realm of divorce, if it's not, if there's not a true narcissistic type relationship, I always, always say never, ever say anything bad about your ex. Like, clearly, I mean, nobody. That's indisputable, nobody, none of us would argue that. In the area of narcissism, it's really, really important to identify the behaviors that are off, that when these are actually hurtful, unkind things happening. When we pretend they're not happening, and just because we don't want to upset our child or put our child in an awkward position, we're not giving them that the life skills or the, uh, the resources they're going to need to know how to navigate their relationship on their own now with their, their parent who's a narcissist. And of course, the narcissist that will show up in their life there, thereafter.
0: Oh, that's such great advice. Where can listeners, if listeners would like to work with you or learn more about what you do, where's the best place for them to find you and contact you?
1: Oh, my website at DuarteCoaching.com. So my last name, Coaching.com.
0: When they post the podcast, I'll definitely put it in yeah. the, the information below. So it's right there for listeners. And do you work with individuals or groups um, or both?
1: Mm-hmm, both, uh, mostly individuals, especially through through these last couple of years. Uh, I do have a drop-in group on Saturdays from 11 till 1 p.m. It's, and that's available. You'll, you can access that on my website. It's a great way to connect with other people that, uh, that understand what you're going through. And uh, it's very much a teaching environment versus a support group where we all share our stories. When you're, when you're going through this, you don't need to hear everybody else's story. It's exhausting enough. You're working through enough. So I really protect that space. So that we're learning valuable tools, new awarenesses, but you get to protect your energy and not have to take on too much of the energy of the other people in the room, while at the same time, knowing, oh my goodness, I'm not alone here, which is really important.
0: Yeah, that's so important. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today, Bonnie. It's been a pleasure having you and you've provided such helpful information. So we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so
1: much, Leanne. Anytime.
0: And thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, and tune in each week and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well.
1: Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring.
0: I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't
1: assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me.
0: You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope.
1: Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
0: Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leantownsend.ca.